We're reading Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in those last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thank you. Yeah, bless the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So I wanted to start by um, uh, just a real quick review of Hebrews. We're in the book of Hebrews. And as Scott has mentioned several times, the book of Hebrews is a really well-written sermon. Uh, the author is unknown. And uh, the sermon was, was uh, given to the Hebrew people who were believers but were starting to fall away. And they were having trouble going forward with the new covenant and, uh, and they were having some, some difficulty. So Kathy just read the first part of Hebrews and I was going to do a, just kind of a quick review of, um, of where we are in the book so far. So that was Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Uh, and it kind of sets up the whole, the whole thing. Um, uh, and, uh, and it basically says, after making purifications for sins, he, he, uh, he sat down at the at the right hand of the Father on high. Um, Hebrews 2 warns us against uh, drifting away from salvation through Jesus, describes Jesus as a higher priest uh, and uh, as higher than the angels. In Hebrews 3, it exhorts us to hold fast in confidence in Jesus and further warns against unbelief. Hebrews 4 describes the promise that we have through our belief in Jesus Christ, further builds on Jesus as our high priest, and paints a picture of our future rest in heaven. It also contrasts this with unbelievers not entering God's rest. Hebrews 5 describes Jesus as the high priest who is also God's son, and it presents Jesus as an eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. It disciplines people who have become dull, and have lost the principles of God, who are not using reason, who are still on milk, rather than solid food of discernment of good and evil. Hebrews 6 exhorts them to move on from repentance from dead works, and warns against falling away from the heavenly gift they have received and partaken in, uh, because they would crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame, and exhorts them to be diligent, patient, and not become sluggish. It presents God's oath. Hebrews 7 builds on the Melchizedek analogy and that Jesus as our high priest is eternal. It presents the old order, that the old order is annulled and Jesus has become surety of a new covenant. Amen. There is no need for daily sacrifices because Jesus is the faultless high priest. And Hebrews 8 describes Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. He is minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Earthly priests are but a type and shadow of this true priest. 
Jesus as mediator of a better covenant. Now, I've been uh, described by a family member, uh, and your teachers will probably get a kick out of this. I'm the the, uh, concrete sequentialist. (laughs) And so it's all in an outline, and you know, (laughs) step by step. So um, that's the way it goes uh, for me. Um, Last week, uh, Scott went over the first part, uh, first 10 uh, verses of Hebrews um, uh, 9, 1 to 10. Scott described the temple, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And the song talked about, take me into the holy of holies. The only person that could go into the holy of holies in the Old Testament was the high priest who could do it once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only after purification by blood. Uh, and, uh, and if he didn't do it right, he was killed. Amen. So uh, we have, as we've said a couple times, it's an amazing thing that we can go straight to God. There was no rest in the holy place. It was constant activity, and it was supposed to be worship. Uh, the blood of slain animals was a covering for sin, and it was temporary. It had to be repeated over and over again. Uh, all of this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. And one of the things that, that's really come out of this, <clears throat> for me, studying this, is the priests' sacrifices could not cleanse the minds of the people or their consciences. I have a hard time saying that word. And it had to be repeated continuously because they were not, the priests were not perfect people and they didn't uh, have a perfect sacrifice. The veil remained. There was separation due to sin and death. And then Scott described the Holy of Holies containing the Ark of the Covenant, and it contained the Ten Commandments, um, God's law, uh, the budding staff of Aaron, showing the power of God and showing life, the jar of manna, showing uh, bread that God provided for them in the, uh, during the Exodus. And all of these elements point toward Jesus. Amen. So now we get to my part. Uh, Jesus is... The, Hebrews 9, 11 to 14 is where I'm at. And, and uh, it's the culmination of Jesus Christ as the better priest, the better sacrifice, in the better sanctuary. Verse 9, 11. Excuse me. But when Christ appeared as high priest, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Those words. And then reading through commentaries and stuff, because I done some of my own studying of it, but I've also read quite a bit from other commentaries. All of the gifts and sacrifices that were done under the old covenant were illustrations of the real sacrifice to be offered at Calvary. They could not make the worshiper perfect in conscience because they were not the real sacrifice. The earthly structure was a symbol illustrating restricted access to God for that era. Jesus Christ came as the better high priest, better than any Levitical priest. Jesus Christ provided the perfect atonement. Jesus Christ's death and blood cleansed us from sin, and not just covers, but cleanses us all the way to our consciences. We are set free of sin and death, and we don't want to do those sinful things any longer. That's the Holy Spirit with us telling you, Steve, don't do that anymore. Um, 
Jesus Christ entered the holy place in heaven through his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus Christ's resurrection removed the veil. We are washed from sin and death and are given life. Jesus Christ brought better things, a better salvation, a perfect atonement, a radical salvation. This included access to God, communication with God through our mediator, Jesus. And that's, that's just the amazing thing. Continuing, uh, or a, 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 um, uh, another verse that uh, uh, kind of builds on this, 2 Corinthians verse 5, 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So because I can't think of a better question, uh, one of Scott's from last week, think of some, uh, what, who or what are you looking to to save you? Do we have that question up there, Clarissa? Am I, am I running ahead of the slides? There you go. Who or what are you looking to save you? And then one of my own, uh, thinking, uh, think of something that, you've, you've been, that you used to do that you've been set free of. And we're not going to ask for you to share that right now, but I'll, let me just tell you a little story <laughs> of my own, which, uh, which is a little uh, funny, funny music story to me. I, when I was a young adult, um, I had played music in high school, and then I went to engineering school, and I was working as an engineer, and I, I missed that music uh, stuff that I did in, when I was younger. And... Um, so I, I was building bigger speakers and better amplifiers, and some of that was practicing my engineering stuff, but a lot of it was just searching for something that I, I couldn't get any satisfaction from. And I'd really, I built great big speakers, and, and, uh, and we had a house full of this stuff, and uh, Kathy can attest to this. And, I, there was, and I'd go to the record stores, and I'd, buy all, I'd look at all these records, and I'd buy records when I could afford them, and eh, it, it didn't satisfy and then somewhere along the line, my wife, who was my spiritual leader at the time, said, we ought to take our kids to church and give them a church background. Okay, so we went to a couple different churches and then landed at a, at a little Presbyterian church over in Woodenville, uh, Washington. And uh, the pastor was, was preaching through a, a lot of biblical history at the time. And I wasn't a believer and I was kind of resistant to all this and I thought maybe this was not for me and this guy was intelligent and he was and it made sense to me and then they had hymnals and we sang some songs and there was doctrine in those those hymnals but I could read the music and it was like oh this is what I was missing and I started doing you know and it just that and and then they of course I wound up in the choir and and uh, and it was like that desire, that old desire for bigger speakers and stare. Of course, I started getting speakers for churches then. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's just my little story. That uh, and the old passed away, and and uh, I, I think the Lord just really set me free of, of that. Verse nine, twelve. 
He entered uh, once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Under the old covenant, the earthly priests had to slaughter animals and sprinkle their blood to temporarily cover their sin so that they could do their work in the sanctuary and then ultimately in the Holy of Holies. These animals died unwillingly. But their blood covered them temporarily for for the work they had to do. Jesus Christ went willingly to the cross and shed his own blood for our transgressions. When he rose and went through the veil to heaven um, and is in this heavenly sanctuary, he provided eternal redemption for believers. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace. So reading through this and throwing the words around, um, what's the difference between redemption and atonement? So, uh, you know, the internet's a wonderful thing. Uh, (laughs) Redemption, salvation from sin, payment of a ransom, or payment for something pawned. Uh, From Galatians 3, 13 to 15, Christ redeemed us uh, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So it's, 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 it's payment of the sin. Um, he, he paid for me. Atonement, on the other hand, is something done to repair a relationship. It's reconciliation between God and man, specifically through the death of Jesus. So I learned something in studying this. Verse 9, 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and for the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, comma, so if this was a symphony, this is where the crescendo starts. He's starting to build up, and if I was a good pastor, I'd be starting to pound on the, on the podium now. Uh, this is building to the loudest part. In the Old Covenant, if someone touched a dead body, they needed to be cleansed or purified. From Numbers 19, 13, whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, he defiles the temp- tabernacle of the Lord, And that person shall be cut off from Israel because of the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanliness is still on him. And from Numbers 19.9, And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the water for impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. So this was a something that was set up so people could be purified to do what they needed to do. But it was a ceremonial purification, and it cleansed the physical body only. It did nothing for the conscience. In other words, it was an external decontamination. Christ's atoning death put into effect the new covenant. And now verse 914, the crescendo is building. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
purify, or your, conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hallelujah. This is the writer of the book of Hebrews' doctrinal comparison of the innumerable Levitical sacrifices with the single sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's blood, through his willing sacrifice of himself, expunges our sin where the older sacrifices failed to do so. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was the offering of his deepest self, his innermost personality. It cleanses the most guilty conscience from dead or deadly works to serve the living God. One of the commentaries I read, and this is from late 1800s, Vincent's Word Studies, on Hebrews 9.14. I don't know if we put that up there or not. Yeah, we did. Therein consists its potency for men, not in Christ's satisfaction of justice by suffering a legal penalty, but in that the cross is the supreme expression of a divine spirit of love, truth, mercy, brotherhood, faith, ministry, unselfishness, holiness, a spirit which goes out to men with divine intensity of purpose and yearning to draw them into its own sphere and to make them partakers of its own eternal quality. Hebrews 12.2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is transformative power. So the question, what gives eternal redemption? Yeah, Jesus. Another question, why would we return to our old ways when we are offered redemption, permanent atonement for our sins, and a personal relationship with a mediator who sits at the right hand of God in the perfect tabernacle in heaven. Amen. Why do we do that? And when Kathy and I were talking this morning, it's like, yeah, we, we people kind of tend to go back to the things we used to do uh, because it's comfortable or it's known. Um, and, and the Hebrew people were doing the same. They were, they were going back to the things they used to do. And maybe those weren't, in themselves bad things, but they were not recognizing uh, the second covenant, that what, what Jesus did for them. And by those actions, they were like taking him to be crucified again. So um, I'm going to repeat Scott's questions from last week. What illuminates our path? Anything other than Jesus is misleading us. Who or what is meeting our needs? And I struggle with this sometimes because I'm the guy that worries about enough money and all that kind of thing. To what are you looking to save you? Are you living to need his nourishment? And what the way Scott put that was, was um, are we stretching so much that we need to be refreshed by him because we're, we're running the race? Who are you living for? Don't stop leaning into the people who are spiritually dead that we're supposed to be helping bring uh, to the Lord. And who haven't you forgiven? We've been given so much. We need to forgive as much. And as we've talked in other times, sometimes forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship gets all rosy again, but the forgiveness is done. And are we living life as if Jesus is our high priest? So I, um, 
I'm going to contradict myself now and say that, you know, I haven't, I haven't uh, been going back to old, old secular records and stuff. But the other day I was driving along and listening to uh, the uh, car radio XM stereo uh, 50s channel. And uh, I heard a song that I hadn't heard before. And it was by Connie Francis, and it was about a 1960 song. And uh, she sings a song, and it's a secular song. It's about a teenage girl who is rebelling against her parents' rules because they have too many rules. But the chorus of it kind of struck me, and, it, and it's a catchy little tune. And so it's kind of a mnemonic for me. Uh, I, I go around with little tunes in my head. Um, so uh, why don't you go ahead and click on the slide? So it's just, uh, it's just a little example to me that there are a lot of rules, uh, hundreds of laws in the uh, uh, Old Testament time. Uh, the Hebrews, uh, of course, they had the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments still stand. But all of their Levitical rules and stuff, hundreds of them, uh, it was hard for them to, to follow those rules, and they rebelled against them, just like this teenage girl does. So... <laughs> Once again, we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator on high. Uh, it's a perfect atonement and eternal redemption. Holy Father, thank you so much uh, for, your, uh, for your provision for us. And I feel like I'm a, a broken record repeating it over and again. But uh, uh, you are in heaven mediating us. We have direct access to you through prayer as believers. And Lord, we ask that you continue to uh, show us your ways, uh, plumb the depths of your word, and um, uh, help us um, continue to move in the direction toward you and, and uh, stop doing the things that uh, are destructive and do the things that are, that are um, constructive for us, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've come to a time of God stories. And uh, let me grab the microphone here, wherever it went. Anybody have a God story? Don has a God story. I have to thank Peggy Harkey. Uh, she gave me a book... Uh, few months back on dealing with grief. So this is part of the therapy. Talk about it, plan, plan ahead, and sometimes cry a little bit. There's a few other things, but uh, tell you, the last chapter of, of, my, of my life with Karen. Last Saturday, um, uh, I was with Karen, and she ate fairly well as I fed her. And yet, Monday afternoon late, I received a call from the hospice nurse. Uh, Karen had not eaten in two days and was non-responsive. Oh dear. So on Tuesday, when I 
went down there and found her deep, deep under responsive again. Then tried to get her out of bed. I tried to feed her. Could only get a few spoonfuls into her. Looking bleak. On Thursday, when I went down again on the bus, that's my prayer time on the bus, believe it or not. I started praying to the Lord, Lord, give Karen a little more time. Just a little more time. When I got there to her room, the nurse was just outside and said, Karen's awake and taking fluid. And when I entered the room, she was awake and more alert than I'd seen her in several days. That morning, my daughter had dashed over there to see her mom, to tell her mom how she loved her and it was okay for her to, to go. Our son was able, unable to make it over, but he called on the phone, I put her on speakerphone, and he talked to her and told her how much he loved her and he'd be okay. She can go also. As it turned out, our first and only adopted granddaughter, Andra Craw, who now lives in Buffalo, and is Dr. Dr. Andra, <laughs> and her friend Michael were traveling, and they were in this area on Thursday. So we had a real party. Uh, Andra, her brother Jackie, I mean, mom Jackie, <laughs> Eric and Kara Craw, and we had just a great visit with Karen. And about three o'clock that afternoon, we thought she's probably getting pretty tired, so we all left. And a little over an hour later, I received a call from the nurse. Says, can you get back here soon? She only has a few minutes left. And by the time I got back, Karen was gone. But talking to her nurse, She's a wonderful lady. Her name is Wendy. <laughs> She's been a nurse a long time. She was with Karen, and she had just been with Karen, and she said, she had asked Karen, are you comfortable? And Karen more or less responded that she was, and she gave a gasp, and that was it. <sighs> My prayer for just a little more time with Karen was answered. God gave us that day. That's the end of the chapter, the end. One last thought on a lighter side. Lois Parker's husband's up there and with her, and maybe he can teach her how to dance, or how to square <laughs> dance, because Lord, I sure couldn't. I just want to say, um, Michael and I um, had an opportunity. We, um, of all things, have moved again. We found a, a better place, um, a better opportunity, and I just wanted to say thank you. We have the most amazing friend. Um, our friend Dean Adams in this last week has been amazing. He has been a godsend. When we have needed help moving furniture because I can't lift anything, um, um, he has been there for us. He has been able to come over after work almost every day this week to help 
move stuff. And so I just want to say thank you, Dean, for all the help you have given us. You are an amazing friend. And we do definitely over owe you several cups of coffee this week. Thank you, God. Well, I appreciate all the prayers. The Snyder family has grown to five. We received a, uh, a princess named Evelyn on Thursday. So thank you for all of your prayers and support, and praise God for new life. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got one? Okay. All right. All right, guys. We have so much of our church family that's left us and gone to heaven. I just can't imagine the good fun they're having up there. There's Reuben and Bill, and there's Marshall Carr that left us first, Alan Anderson. Now, Brian Harris is there, and if I miss anyone, I'm sorry. But we're thinking about starting a widow's club here. So we can all get together, but now we're going to have to add widowers and let Don come and join us. So I just know that, Don, that they're having a party in heaven, and they're waiting on us to get there. And through God's grace, we'll be here to do what he wants us to do, and then one day we'll all be there together. So I live in that, and I thank Peggy Harkey, too. She's been doing the grief books with me in my home, and you'd be surprised at what you learned. You learn that other people feel the same way you do and that you're not losing your mind. So thanks to Peggy for all her good work that she does with us. Oh, and Steve did a wonderful job, you guys. What a wonderful sermon from Steve Furman. Praise the Lord. He reminded us of all we need to remember. Thanks, Lord. Uh, hello, I'm Dave, who doesn't shave. Um, I know I say that every week, but just in case people don't know who I am yet. Um, this week we had, I have a, like 18 of them, but I don't know if we have time for that. So, um, oh, sorry. Can you hear me better? Oh, we are. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, we had, um, the big one is we had our banquet this week um, where we invite people in the community to come learn about what Young Life is, and we invite them into our ministry, um, both financially and by, uh, you know, volunteering or um, helping us out with just stuff like meals and everything. Um, and we had a really good turnout and, uh, we raised some money. So there, there we go. That's the, <laughs> that's the good thing. Um, yeah. And then later in the week, uh, after the football game, we had a fifth quarter again. Um, and last time I reported on a fifth quarter, we had like two girls come, but they were the right girls that needed to come. Um, and this week we had, we gave out 22 cups so probably about 20 kids, but some kids didn't even want to get food or drink. They just came to hang out. So um, we got a lot of kids, um, and we built good relationships with some of them. And so that's just a testament to our growing ministry uh, with Young Life. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> 